Hey, welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects people to music and one another. If you're new here, my name's Chris and I'm a board certified music therapist and I interview different music and music related field professionals to show all kinds of career paths and options and ways that you can make a living and have a rich life through music and with music. Today I've got something a little unique and a little different though, uh, but before I get into that, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We're one month in, we have, we're approaching a thousand downloads and it's just so encouraging that we're already like charting on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts and Argentina, we're high up in the music category in the country of Argentina. So Argentina, thank you. We're all over the world. I see people in Spain, United Kingdom, South Africa, Australia, all over the world listening in and I'm kind of just blown away by that too. So thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please consider giving a rating and review. It's the easiest, simplest, and freest way that you can support the show. So um, we're going to keep cranking out some episodes here and some cool conversations. But if you haven't already, you can join the community on Instagram at make.more.music. As I mentioned, today's going to be a little bit different Instead of someone who's working in the music industry right now, I have someone who I first met as a patient uh, of music therapy. And Max, I get to walk alongside his battle of leukemia through treatment and through bone marrow transplant. He gets all into the nitty gritty of that. But it was cool to meet this guy who already was singing, already playing trumpet, and just to empower that and see how his infectious positivity and faith just inspired so many people, got him notice on the news. Max is just one of those people that uh, once you're around him, you're like, oh, you're just one of those people that like just is magnetic. People are drawn to him. So let's hop right into the interview. Here's my friend, Max Jones. All right, Max. Well, I'm super glad to chat with you. I'm First, glad that we selfishly just get to catch up, but B, I'm just glad to hear your story again. Uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't feel encouraged when we're around you. So um, before we kind of get into how we met and all the all the things you've kind of gone through to get you to here, I want to ask some questions that I know I've asked at some point before, but let's go way back to the beginning. So I know your family is full of music lovers and uh, music fanatics and everything like that. But talk me through, what do you remember or even some of your first music memories? Man, my first, my first music memories would have to come from my, uh, my grandmother. I call her my mammy. My, uh, my mammy, she, she played the piano, she played the organ, and she always has wanted to learn other instruments. So she's always kind of, introduced that into my life and, you know, it brought me up with music. Um, one of my earliest memories is she was learning how to play the violin and she let me take the bow of it. And I was like, I just kind of ran it across the strings and I pretended like I was playing the flight of the bumblebee. I don't know why I knew that song. I was like five. So that's like, yeah. that's like one of the earliest memories, but she would always, um, she would always teach me how to play piano whenever she could. Um, being in, separate states her being in illinois and me being in florida um 
you know, we kind of got separated when I was six or seven. Um, but I, I, I've always kept up that music and whenever she'd come to visit, we'd play together and make make a lot of memories. So you're shredding on the violin a little bit and then (laughs) she's teaching you piano. So piano was actually your first instrument. Yeah, I'd say that was my first. Um, and she, I don't know how her, I don't know, um, her lessons went. I don't know where she got mm-hmm. them, but they were kind of, kind of like very intuitive for a five-year-old like me, because she would kind of trace my hand and she would put a number to each of my fingers. I remember doing that, and every time she'd come, we'd have to redo it, and I, <laughs> she'd put the sheet music up and she'd write the little numbers of the fingers underneath the notes on the sheet music, and um, we would go through it really slowly. And I'd always want to like get going faster like i want to learn more songs <laughs> i mean be like no let's yeah. let's perfect this one first and so um That's she kind cool. of she kind of like installed kind of a perfectionist you know motif in me want to get it right exactly. want to get it perfect so um how long before you started picking up other instruments and what other instruments did you get into along the way um she, like I said, she tried playing a lot of instruments, and if we were around each other, she would try to get me into them. So I remember one time she was trying to learn the guitar, which she never has quite learned yet. Um, <laughs> but I yes. remember she, when <laughs> yeah. she visited, she had this book with a DVD, and I had a little guitar, and she had a little, she had a guitar, and uh, we'd watch this DVD together, and we try to play guitar. But I, to this day, I've still I can't get my hand around the guitar. Um, so that was that was another one. Um, I think the next instrument would be the trumpet. When I was in uh, sixth grade, um, I got into a band class expecting to play percussion. But, oh, um, same exact story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my teacher had a, had a strict kind of policy about people playing percussion. He said you have to learn another instrument before you. I ch- uh, and I'll choose you to play percussion if that calls for it, which I think nowadays meant if you suck at everything else, I'll just put you on percussion. <laughs> That's good. So That's good. Um, he kind of forced me into playing trumpet and I played it that first day, made a little noise on it and I was hooked ever since. And I just kind of, kind of kept it going to this day. Cool. And that's, that's really became your like number one, mm-hmm. you would say, right? Yeah. And I, and I, a close second would be, you know, singing too. I, I've sang a lot, especially with my grandmother, because we every Christmas she would um, in the in the family Christmas gathering we'd have before we open presents, always before we open presents, we'd have a sing along with the whole family, and I would she would always make me like the conductor in the singing. <laughs> so I'd always I'd always lead each lead all the family in singing all the Christmas carols and stuff. Well, singing was also a, a big part of my musical talents. And what what kind of stuff were you singing? What kind of stuff were you playing? Uh, I know your background a little bit, but uh, what kind of music were you getting into in middle school and through high school? And what, what stuff were you performing and things like that? Um, in middle school, it was mainly the trumpet. I didn't really sing. Cause you know, that, that time your, your voice is kind of changing and 
Yeah. yeah. You, don't yeah. Really, you don't really sound like a good singer. So I got singing on hold a little bit and focused on the trumpet. And then um, in my school, we had the symphonic band, which was, you know, symphonies and classical music. But also the best of that band was put into the jazz band, which I I knew nothing about jazz before um, <laughs> for seventh grade. And um, my band teacher, Mr. Hart, came up to me and he said, listen, I, I hear you you have great tone and you just picked up this instrument. I want you to be in the jazz band. I want to make you second chair as a seventh grader, which in my school was like, it never happened. And so I was, I was cool. really honored to be that second chair. And then the first month of that class, I knew that like jazz would be kind of my, my main, my main love with the trumpet. Yeah. It was, just, it was such a, such a way to like express yourself in um, such a beautiful way. So who are still some of your favorite uh, jazz trumpeters? Oh my gosh. Uh, Maynard Ferguson has to be number one. I even have a, uh, that's my, your trumpet. My right? trumpet is a Maynard Ferguson Holton SD 550, which was my uncle's because they, him and my father um, were both in a jazz band. My father was a drum player and my mm. uncle was a trumpet player. And um, when I started to learn the trumpet and I didn't own one, um, my uncle said, hey, I don't I don't play mine anymore. You can have mine. And lo and behold, it was Maynard Ferguson. I made a Ferguson trumpet. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like perfect. So, yeah. Um, Maynard Ferguson, definitely. Um, Arturo Sandoval was also a, mm. a big, a big person I listened to just because of his Maynard had the high notes, you know, the screaming. And he'd just yeah. play as loud as he could, and he was just a big, you know, character. But Arturo Sandoval um, kind of took that, and um, he he not only had the range of Maynard and just had a better tone and more of a, um, how do you say that? Like nuance? Nuance and um, skill. Like he would, he would do those runs up and down the chromatic scale and different kind of yeah. weird scales, and it was just... The, the knowledge that he had in his vocabulary was just very influential on how I've wanted to play. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I know you've picked up what you play ukulele a little bit too, right? Yeah. And so where all have you been able to perform singing trumpet, uh, any other things? Tell me, take me through some of your highlight reel of performing. Um, I mean, obviously, schools and school performances. Um, uh, when I was in school, you know, there was always a like an all county, all all county jazz band, all county symphonic band. So I was always um, auditioning for those and getting in, and those were a lot of fun. They would bring in, you know, a uh, a guest uh, director from mm. anywhere from like the university to. I remember one year he was a, a big band leader and. Los Angeles. So it was That's really cool. cool for them to come in and give us some tips and stuff how to play. So that, that was yeah. probably one of the coolest trumpet things I've done. Um, but the biggest trumpet thing I've done is I've, I've played at my uh, church. I don't even know how many years, but I play um, the offertory and things. And I, that's mainly my performances nowadays. Trumpet. Yeah. And you still get to do that a lot. Uh-huh. Um, Great. 
it's been I had to take a break because of my uh, my um, diagnosis, but uh, yeah. coming back and having that that family that has been that were praying for me and hoping I could come back and that was, I was mm. welcome back with open arms and it was such a great reunion. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been amazing to see all the support uh, you've had and. I think that's probably a good segue into how we met. Yeah. So um, I have my side of the story, but I'd love to hear even before like the moment that you bumped into this guy, <laughs> what, what was going on in your life? What was those, those weeks and those months? Cause you were what, a freshman in college or a sophomore in college. Yeah, I was, uh, it was my first year out of high school. I was um, going to UCF. It was, the fall of 2018 and like somewhere near the end of November, I remember I woke up one morning and my rib just hurt so much. Like it was just a very painful, painful feeling. And I had like done nothing. And <laughs> I just, just go to class <laughs> yeah. and I'd come home, I'd do homework and I'd go to sleep. And I woke up and it was this terrible pain. I was like, what did I do? I was like, okay, I'll, just, I'll take some Tylenol and I'll go to class and tough it out. But in fact, I expected it to go away after like a week or two, but it, it didn't. So we made a doctor's appointment and I went to the doctor and he took an x-ray and looked me around felt it. And he said, you know, it was probably just a, uh, it's called osteochondritis. It's probably just like inflammation in your rib. Um, a lot of people get it. Um, you probably got it. You stretched it or something. And, uh, you, you know, all I, all I can tell you to do is to, you know, take some pain meds and do some stretches and hopefully it'll go away in like a couple weeks, which that's what I thought in the first place. So I did what he told me to do. Um, but not only did it like get worse, but it had spread to multiple ribs. Ah. So, um, that was a, that was probably the first red flag that something was kind of up and it, it had gotten um, so bad. I couldn't take like a deep breath. I was, I was a very short breaths and um, like sneezing or coughing would just like make me double over in pain. Mm. So that was from November where it started. It got to the point where I, I said, I can't do this anymore. I need to go back to the doctor. That was, I think mid January of 2019 or 2018. It was October of yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. January I was like, I think it was a. I think it was earlier than yeah. that. Maybe not. Okay. So um, you're you're a pre nursing student mm -hmm. and you're feeling all this pain. Is that the point when you're starting to like feel a little wigged out, or what's going on in yeah, your head? Yeah, well, like feeling it everywhere and it not going away, kind of was kind of really weird to me and uh, my family, they were all worried about it. So um, I finally said, I need to go back to the doctor. And we went, said, you know, if it's spreading like this, we need to uh, run some more tests. So I'm going to get you a, a bone scan and we're going to do some blood work. So I went to go get the bone scan done and um, they inject you with a dye. And, and then you sit in a machine, you have to sit still for like mm. 45 to minutes to an hour while this little thing slowly goes over your body. And the guy that was performing the bone scan, looking at the results as they were coming off the scanner, 
and he, he looked at me and said, and your, your ribs are like completely black, which I have never seen before ever in my, in the history of me doing this job, which that was mm. like the second, red flag, and it was a pretty big red flag. So, uh, oh, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, so we went from that and a couple of days later, he, the doctor called us back in to hear the results. And that's when he told me and my sister, and my mom that went with me to that doctor's visit, um, that I, uh, most likely had leukemia and um, he told me I needed to go to the hospital right away. You need to go home, get grab some clothes, you know, go to the emergency room and mm. went there. We spent the whole night in the emergency room until they could get me a room in the adult ward. Um, mm. So I stayed in the adult ward for a couple of days while they confirmed the diagnosis. And then once they confirmed it on February 5th, they uh, diagnosed me with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And then they also gave me a choice. I could stay in the adult ward and get a treatment that anybody could, would get as an adult, or I could go to the pediatric uh, ward where I would get like a more personalized, more intense treatment, which um, we opted for, which yeah. was, a, was a really, I think, wise choice in the end. Um, it was definitely different than the adult ward um yeah you know instead of five or six year olds these nurses are dealing with a 19 year old which i'm sure they all adored um, yeah yeah I, it's a, it was definitely a welcome change um so you you hear leukemia how much do you already know of what's going on and how much are you already like what are you thinking at that point you know i was, I was really shocked at first those first couple seconds when they when my doctor told me that we think it's leukemia um i was really shocked but you know after a couple seconds i, I felt this peace peace in me and I, I said to myself you know this is all gonna be okay um mm. i'm gonna get through this and i'm gonna get through it even stronger than i started so there was, you go what, from the beginning. what do you think oh yeah yeah that you like pretty much right away you kind of have this steadfastness then. What would you attribute your confidence going through everything? Because I would say the whole time I knew you, there were definitely terrible days. but And there were days that you hated life. You hated the people that worked (laughs) with us. (laughs) Uh, But what do you think gave you all of of that confidence? Um, You know, I'm... I'm a believer, and so obviously um, mm. God, having faith in God and hearing about it all my life and being a believer, I, I knew in my heart that he was there, he was protecting me, he was right by my side. Um, and also just all the words of encouragement that I got from my friends and family, even people I barely even knew saying, you know, we are, we're praying for you, we're, you're in our thoughts and prayers. Um getting, you know, accounts from other people saying, oh, uh, a friend of mine went through this and he's doing A-OK today. You know, just a lot of that really, really helped me in my yeah, my, you know, overall demeanor. Yeah. So your personal faith, you kind of like, it's, it's cool to hear you had that moment of like, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be taken care of. And then just people pouring into you. And sharing that story, which I think is a 
a good transition for also how you kind of walked through through that whole journey. So mm. it's I know I probably met you maybe the first or second week. Yeah, but it was you, probably the you second. Were, yeah. yeah, you were already like big on the like we're posting about this, we're talking about this, I'm sharing my perspective and what I'm doing. So talk me through that a little bit about kind of like that mentality shift that you had going through everything. And then let's get into what is it like to be, uh, like you said, you're in a pediatric hospital, you're now going through cancer care. What does that mean on a day-to-day for somebody who doesn't know? What was the, what was the first question? You said how, the, how did you keep that men? So we're going to talk about, go ahead and tell me about what, uh, what it's like on a day to day. And then how did you make those decisions to speak life, to be confident, live truth, and you were encouraging other people. So how did, how did in the spite of the day to day that goes on, and you can talk as much as you want about what it's like to do all the different things. Uh, how did you stay so, uh, encouraging to take encouragement and give encouragement? Um, I think most of my life I've been a kind of a private person. You know, I've, I've, I've got a high pain tolerance. So if I'm like a little bit in pain, I don't really talk about it. Um, I just don't like showing people that. I don't know, you know, I just don't like showing, I guess, weakness. I wouldn't, that's the word I would say right now. Um, I just like being an example for people going through this Mm. set. Um, You know, it's not all terrible, even though I may be feeling the worst I've ever felt in my life. I am living. I know that there's... um, Doing this for a reason. I know I'm going through this for a reason, and um, I know that there's a brighter future waiting for me. So I've, I've always kind of looked ahead and said, I know I probably I'm feeling it right now, but you know, <laughs> a month or two from now, I'm gonna be it's gonna be worth it. And it's gonna be I'm, I'm going to be feeling better. Yeah. Wow. I, I try to even get you to pull out. You know, what are some of those, those down moments? What are some of the things you had to go through? And you still, your mind goes, nope, it might've been terrible, but I knew I was going to get through it. I think that speaks to your personality as well. So you're, you know, you're getting dressing changes. You're having all these little small procedures to get things done and taken care of. And then uh, probably a week or two later, you get a knock on the door and I show up. So tell me what that is like. Well, the person who kind of, I think, brought us together would be a nurse. Uh, her name is Jen. And mm. I remember she would take care of me and I would, we were talking about what I, what I do on and what my hobbies were. And I, I said, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I play the trumpet, I sing and I do all this stuff musically. And she was like, you know, I bet you'd like Chris. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna see what I can do. And I was like, okay, I don't know who Chris is. So then the next day, or a couple days later, I get a knock on the door, and it's uh, it's you, and you come in with your guitar and pulling a thing of like tambourines and percussion instruments. (laughs) I was like, okay, here's this guy. 
uh, <laughs> let's see what let's see what happens. Because you know, I got being in a pediatric ward, like you were saying, you get a lot of knocks on the doors of uh, yeah, you know, like and like big people in like animal suits or like superheroes come knocking on the door, expecting like a six year old child, <laughs> and they get through the door. You're a grown man. I'm a grown man, but <laughs> sitting in his bed. I'm just like, hey. Would you like to meet Dora the Explorer today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, of course, my mom would be like, get up and take a picture with them. You know, get up there. I just, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, you, that's just, that's life on a pediatric board. For sure. But So that's what I was kind of going with. This guy with a guitar, he's probably going to come in here and, like, sing, like, these kid songs with me. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but then you uh, – I don't know how we found out, but you you uh, told told us somehow that you were a worship leader, and so me and my mom kind of thought up. You know what you should do? You should record a video for the church of you singing uh, like a worship song. And um, I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so we recorded that first video, and um, that's that's where it started. You know, that's where yeah. that's where I. I I really had a good friendship with you. I knew it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's awesome. And, uh, whenever he comes in here, I'm going to just, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. And we, we did that a lot about every single time, unless you were having like a truly awful day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, during the bone marrow transplant, there were some times where you were like, I don't even really want to see you today, <laughs> but, yeah. um, we would record, a video or two mm-hmm. every time. So, um, t- talk about the purpose of those videos and what, what you did with them and, and what became of that. Um, like I said before, I, uh, I played at my church weekly and I was kind of a, a I was the only problem I was, we have a piano, we have an organ and, uh, we have a guitar and the drums. That's all we have. And so, having a trumpet was kind of like a really big, big like, thing in the service. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, it, it woke people up, you know? Um, yeah. So not having that there, a lot of people were, you know, kind of wondering like, Oh my gosh, how is he? Is he okay? I had a lot, I had a lot of people praying for me. So the basis of the first video that we did was to kind of say, Hey, I'm in here. I'm doing fine. And I'm, I'm praising God. I'm not being, I'm not worrying about anything. I'm not, you know, uh, mm. being down about my situation. I know that God has a plan and I know that we're going through this for a reason. So we made that video and I kind of, I talked directly to the church cause I knew they were going to play it during the service. Mm-hmm. I said, I said hello and I told them everybody not to worry. I thanked them for all their prayers. I don't mm. remember the song we sang, but I remember it was, it was, it was a Southern gospel song, which we did so many. We did we a did lot. So many. I want to say, you know, what a day! No, I don't know. It was it was a it was a gospel song, and I remember hearing back from all the people that had seen it that Sunday morning, them messaging me and um, just saying how much of a blessing that was to them. You know, and then we just kept the train rolling oh, yeah. and taking videos. Even if we had just mostly had a conversation, mm-hmm. one whole session, then we'd be like, oh, yeah, we got to shoot a video. Before. <laughs> well, your mom would say, yes. wait, you've got to take a video. <laughs> so uh, We'd take a video. And then um, 
how in the world did the whole thing unravel to where it's on HLN or whatever? So that was my my aunt Janan who watches HLN every morning. And they had that segment. It's I think it's called the Drop of Sunshine in the Morning or yeah, something Ray like that. Yeah, Sunshine. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, and they try to like put like a motivational kind of little clip. And she saw that video of us singing together. I think it was somewhere um, beyond the sea. Yeah. It was that kind of jazzy tune. And yeah. she, she said, you know, this would be like perfect for that segment. So she emailed the the show and they got back to her and they had to go through, you know, HR and all that stuff with the hospital. I had to sign some papers, but eventually it got up there. And um, yeah, that's how that came yeah, that was pretty wild. Yeah. So, you know, you're in and out of the hospital several times a month. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you're on like Ray of Sunshine, I, <laughs> you know, Wake Up America or whatever it is. Yeah. I was like, leave it to Max. He's super famous. Because <laughs> I remember when I first walked in, the first day I met you, you're like, oh, yeah, I've got this guitar over here oh, in this yeah. case. I can't remember if it was in the case or if it was at home or whatever. But you're like, yeah, I've got this guitar um, it was Willie Nelson's. <laughs> like, Willie Nelson, Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, what? "Who are you? Who is this kid?" <laughs> I got like that. A college Actually, I had just freshman. Um, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Um, you knew his bus driver. Yeah, or something? the bus driver went to our church, and he he heard about me, I guess on the road, and um, gave me that. While I was in the hospital, he's like, "I know you can't probably use your lips and stuff because that's kind of germy. Play the trumpet while you're in the hospital, but maybe you can." around with this guitar so yeah yeah so i was like what (laughs) i think that was the first day i met you i was like what you have willie nelson's guitar in here yeah (laughs) take that home what are you doing so um you're going through treatments uh tell me kind of about what was going on through there we ended up doing a lot you and i ended up writing a song together uh, we recorded that. I think we'll play that at the end so people can hear that. But um, so tell me about like the, the tell me about the rest of your treatment. What kind of happened from there? Um, so, yeah, I got to the pediatric ward. I started chemo the first day I was there. So in that first month, I stayed in the hospital the entire time while they, you know, killed my immune system, gave me every chemo they could. <laughs> um, and, um, just to, you know, just blast that, blast those leukemia cells away. And then, uh, after that, I got to go home, you know, every, every couple of weeks I'd come back for a chemo or something like that, say in the Ronald McDonald house. And, uh, that was, that first month was probably the worst mm. of the, uh, of the leukemia treatment. Um, just because it's, this such a change for your body it's just so drastic you know yeah um you, you feel like crap you're you have nausea you you, know, you don't want to move you don't want to get up and walk which you should um you know it's very easy to get get down in in the dumps yeah yeah but um having having one you um come in and you know Cheer up, cheer me up, and you can play some music and be musical again. That makes me happy. Two uh, yeah. wonderful nurses who yeah. come around. We talk about uh, you know my school and 
education. We talk about, you know, what they, what their classes were like, how, how they're, uh, you know, how much they studied and how hard it was. But we mm-hmm. I, I always had a good conversation with them. So a combination of that and plus just the positivity of the ward itself, the other kids that are going through, you know, worse things than I am and they're still just as positive. You know, that's yeah. just, that's just very humbling. And, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. I think that's the most amazing thing that uh, goes on in a pediatric oncology department is seeing a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a five-year-old that doesn't even really understand yeah. what's happening to them, just tough as nails. Yeah. It's like, oh, it gets me like every time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so at what point did you get news that uh, about transitioning to bone marrow transplant. Yeah, so that I started treatment in uh, February of 18, and um, we got down to like September, October of 18, and uh, they'd taken a bone marrow biopsy and looked at it. This was after kind of the main chemo treatments that they had their plan, um, and it was time to check and see if that all worked. And um, they came back. I think you had to have... Point zero zero one less than point zero zero one percent of disease residual disease left to have made it a success. I think I had point zero two percent still there, so I missed it by, by just very little. And uh, they said uh, we know it's it's very little, but you know just to be safe, you don't want to risk this. But just to be safe, we want to kind of, we want to put you into a, a bone marrow transplant ward and we want to give you a bone marrow transplant and so you know hearing that when you just hear it you that they're not you don't know anything about it you think oh my gosh this is awful you know this is this is like the worst news i could get but it, it, it really isn't you know it's it's actually more good news than bad news one um it shortened my treatment um my entire treatment by like a year maybe even two yeah. years because it's Kind of a, it's like a, a punch in the is. face to your disease. Yeah. Like it's like, no, we decided we're going to blitzkrieg this yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I didn't even think about that point. Mm. Uh, so demystify it a little bit. Other than that, the kind of some of the different things about the treatment. What else? Uh, what else should maybe people not freak out immediately when they hear bone marrow transplant? Um. Something I thought of because I'm my sister and uh, my father are kind of in the medical field. Um, they always are telling me about kidney transplants and other transplant-like things, and that like when they when this goes on, you're on a medication for the rest of your life, and if you don't take that medication, it's like very problematic. And so that mm-hmm. was one of my one of my worries, but they quickly that to rest saying you know a bone marrow transplant it's not like that you know um we actually the reason we're doing this is to completely get rid of your immune system and put another immune system in someone else's yeah and um they actually like train the new immune system to not attack you which is just mind-blowing you know it's is so crazy to think about, but it's, it's, it's true nowadays. And it's amazing that they can do something like that. 
It's like a little garden. Yeah. Like a little like grow up little and they're, 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 their terminology is exactly like that. Like um they uh they're talking they talk about it um shoot, what's the word? Impl- uh, not implanting, but engrafting. Like it, yeah. it's literally like them being planted inside your bones, the new cells being planted inside your bones and you know, flourishing and growing. But all the while, um you know, they had to keep you, your immune system, your old immune system, anything that's left of it, you know, suppressed. So that it, they don't fight each other or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the first month of that was probably the worst. Conditioning, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the worst out of everything. Of my whole life, <laughs> that was the worst yeah. month of my life. Just because they... What were some of the, yeah, the things you had to the first go through the for chemotherapy, that? you know, they, they, they bomb you, they, they get rid of everything. They, like, set a nuke off inside of you to, to <laughs> bone marrow transplant. Just because they got to get, you got to get rid of everything. Nothing can be left. So you get radiation, full body radiations, you get um, intense chemotherapy, and that all happens within, like, a week. They bring you yeah, down it's to like two zero. Weeks. Yeah. So that, that that first month of just being pounded and you know I feel like I'm just hit by a bus. You know that was just that was the worst. And that, those were some of the days that where I I just feel like I'd have a feeding tube in my nose. Like it sounded weird. So we had a little technical issue, but from this point over, we hopped onto Skype. So the sound quality is a little different, but it's still a great conversation. So keep listening. It starts in three, two, one. Okay. So you said you felt like you'd been hit by a bus. What were some of the other physical effects that you had during that? Um, you know, I, I lost a lot of muscle since... You know, you feel so bad, you don't want to get up and walk around. Um, even more than, you know, the first month of chemo, just the chemo treatment, um, you just, you you feel like you, you can't move. Like, it's just, it's a very weird feeling. I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, you know, it's, you, so yeah, you lose muscle. Um, I got some, I got like C. diff and stuff like that, so my... My intestines, my intestinal system was all whack. Um, you, you don't, you don't want to eat. You lose your appetite. Um, and, you know, it got so bad they had to stick a feeding tube down my nose, and my stomach, which I hated every minute of it. Um, I can only imagine. And I ended up like it, it came out a couple uh, once, and they had to redo it. Mm. It came out. I was like big. I begged, I begged the doctor. I was like, please take this out. <laughs> he's, he's like, okay, you got to start eating. Like you got to eat and drink. You have to do it. And I was like, I'll do anything. And, um, that's what, that's why I found out like one of the very, like one of the biggest positives for me, which was, um, my allergies changed mm. because the immune system. So before I was allergic to peanuts but after this transplant, I was no longer allergic to peanuts. I was, oh. So he told us to eat. I was like, okay, what do I eat? Just keep eating chicken tenders? He's like, do you like Reese's peanut butter cups? And I was like, I, 
I've never had one. I've been allergic to peanuts my whole life. And he's like, I'm about to change your life. <laughs> That's so funny. So my mom got me like this big bag of Reese's. And I just ate like 10 of them. Like, <laughs> like throw up. You eat so much Reese's. So I ate the peanut butter. And then he gave me a Gatorade. And he told me to take a, and the pill cups, which are like 10 milliliters. And uh, he said, every 30 minutes, I want you to you take a shot of Gatorade. I was like, okay. Having like a power hour of Gatorade. <laughs> yeah. So I set a timer on my phone and I, you know, I, I started putting them back. Um, so that, that was really the changing point in my treatment where I, I said, you know, I, I might not be feeling the best, but if I want to, if I want to get better, I got to start, you know, forcing myself to do these kind of things yeah. that will make better in the long run, even if I don't want to do them. Like eating, walking around, you know. So, yeah. yeah. That's where you felt like you took the driver's wheel for real for the last exactly. bit, huh? Yeah. So. Not, I'll let it, you know, get picked out, you know, not be, not be who I am. Yeah. I also remember at that point you had to be rehospitalized and you were cutting it really close to being able to go home for Christmas. Was, uh, I got to go home thanks before Thanksgiving. Oh, maybe was it Thanksgiving? It was before Thanksgiving and I got to, I'm pretty sure I got to do Thanksgiving and the next day I went back in the hospital. <laughs> Thanksgiving. I didn't eat much, but, you know, it was, it was nice to be home for that couple days. And I went back in for like a week or two and then got to go home and I stayed there for quite a while, which was, which was nice. You finally discharge, you're finally done with transplant. And now what does your life look like as far as, you know, after a transplant immediately and then now? How often are you doing checkups, and what is what does your life look like differently now? Um, so when I when I got out and I was kind of, I knew I was going to stay home for a while. It was uh, two doctor's visits a week, and um, you know I'd get platelets or blood whenever I needed them. Um, that changed after like a month or two to just once a week, and the transfusions started to die down and. Um, that went to two every two weeks and then now i'm every month and um it would be a regular doctor's visit but i had so many transfusions that um my iron levels are really high and they don't they want to take them down naturally so what they do is they uh, i'm basically donate blood to the trash can they mm. take out five milliliters of blood and they throw it away and um, they give me back saline so my Blood pressure stays fine, but so I go in once a month to do that, and kind of the day after, I'm still kind of, you know, kind of tired after losing all that blood. So, but I, it's once a month, and I get to I see it as kind of a positive, so I can I can go back see everybody that yeah get friends with, and that's great. So out of all of that. Um, I definitely want to bring up the whole prom and the band, but what are some other of the top experiences for you that, you know, you just talked to me about your Make-A-Wish and going to Hawaii. What are all of the things that, like, you would have never thought that you would have all of these rich experiences through something so terrible? 
So yeah, like I said, I had a, I had a, I didn't have a make a wish because I was, I had turned eighteen. Oh, true. Once before I, I got diagnosed, so I missed it by that much. But there is a, there's another uh, foundation, the Nicholas Reichel Foundation, which is uh, based in my hometown in Illinois. And um, oh, that's some, cool. I don't know. We don't know if somebody gave us information about it or somebody nominated us for it. But um, they got in contact with us, and they said, we want to fulfill you a wish. And so um, I kind of made the joke and said, it's not a make-a-wish, it's a make-a-request. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and uh, I, I requested to go to Hawaii with my family and play a round of golf there. And That's so, so great. Last um, November of 2019, um, my whole family got to go, me, my dad, my mom, uh, my sister, her husband, and uh, my nephew. We all got home and we stayed um, right on the beach and like, and oh my goodness, it was just so beautiful. We had such a blast. Um, mm. What uh, golf course did you go to? Um, it's called Alawai, and it's literally right in town. It's a little municipal, like there's there's streets all around it, which I'd never played a course like that, which was really weird. Um, and it had a fantastic view of Diamond Head, that huge mountain that's right next mm. to Lake. It was so beautiful. And uh, the golf course actually surprised me by <clears throat> giving, uh, getting um, Mark Rolfing, who is a golf channel caster. He'll wow. go follow around groups on the, in tournaments and stuff and give them like, color commentary about it. And uh, I'd been a fan of him, and he lives on Maui. And so they, they'd asked him if he would come over and, um, you know, visit with me for a couple holes while, while I played. And the funny thing is, we had, I had already met him a couple months prior because I also got to um, take a tour of the Golf Channel Studios thanks to the For a Day Foundation. Oh, wow. Um, and um, so they gave me a, a full tour of their, their stages and um, where they recorded shows. And right as we were leaving, um, one of their big shows is Golf Central, which is basically their, you know, their, their talk show about they speculate and, you know, talk about future golf and stuff like that. And they were all in the, uh, the newsroom kind of getting ready, talking about their points that they were going to talk about. And um, I got to meet with them before I left. And Mark Rolfing was there. That's and uh, me and him had a connection because he went through um, cancer as well. But it wasn't, wow. it wasn't leukemia, but it was um, something with his lymph nodes. I'm not mm. exactly sure which one it was. Uh, that connection. So we had met there, and he comes out of the golf course. I shake his hand. I say, it's nice to see you again. He's like, Are you? And I, I was like, yeah, we met at a, a golf channel tour a couple months ago. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Of course, I remember. So, That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He, um, we, we got talking while I was playing, playing around, and he, um, every year, my dad volunteers at the Arnold Palmer Invitational here in Orlando, mm -hmm. and I usually go with his free passes, and I go and look, see the, the top players that come there, and he mentioned that he comes to, we talked about, I live in Orlando, and he's like, oh yeah, I go there, um, Whenever the tour goes there for the Arnold Palmer Invitational, I was like, oh, I go there every year. My dad volunteers there. And uh, he said, you know what? The next time you're there, uh, I'll take you in the booth that we record stuff in. I'll show you around. We'll get you, we'll get you behind so the desk. Cool. And um, 
another thing that came out of it, um, this global journey, but the great thing that came out of it was I'm going to the Masters in this April. Awesome. Which, for a golfer, that's like that's winning it. a lot. That is like the top. You know, going to Augusta National and the Masters in Sunday, no less. Oh, wow. So I hope I hope I see something good there. But um, we also, I told him I was going there, and he said, you know, I'll get you in there, too. I'll, I'll bring you to the, and they have uh, beautiful sets there. And um, he said, I'll get you, I'll get you behind there and maybe meet a couple golfers and stuff like that. So that was, that's probably one of the biggest things. Wow. That's out of this. Yeah, and then didn't I, my memory is weird about it, but didn't like Billy Joel's trumpeter or something yeah. send you like a FaceTime message or something like that? What was that? Actually, that's that's a funny story. It has to do with you too. So <clears throat> while I was in the hospital, I you know I, I sometimes listened to music, and um, you know whenever you'd come in, we'd try to do a we try to do an old gospel song or and we try to do like a kind of contemporary. Like, fun song and um i remember I, I just listened to for the first time new york state of mind by billy joel mm. um i remember you played it I, I just said billy joel i didn't say what song i wanted to play, it'll sing or anything and he just started playing new york state of mind and i was like immediately i knew the words and we sang along to it and we recorded it it was awesome and that kind of like set me on the path of loving billy joel like he's my favorite artist right now i, mm. I listened to car all the time and I, I know most of the words is on it's something me and my dad bond about and so his trumpet player um is just like amazing he uh played Peter ferguson uh before in one of his bands earlier and um he's been with billy joel for i think over 10 years <clears throat> and so he looked him my dad looked him up without telling me and he looked up his manager and said to his manager hey my my son has leukemia but he, he's really digging carl his name is carl fisher he's really digging carl's trumpet playing and he loves billy joel do you think you could like send him a message or something so um like a couple months later we get a video um from carl on the stage during the sound check saying you know hey max we're thinking of you i hope you feel better um you know uh, we're out here in wrigley field like Chicago, my hometown, you know, and it was just so, so awesome to have that and make a personalized video for me. And that was awesome. And then um, he actually lives here in Florida and he did a kind of through the years trumpet players kind of concert with a small band. Mm. And it was a private, private recording and performance um, in Tampa. And the manager invited us to go. And wow. Like front row seats. Oh. And uh, it was just so awesome, you know, him screaming that loud thing and just sitting right in front of it, hearing all of it, like your chest would shake with it. Oh my goodness, that was awesome. Wow. Musical, musical experience. And then probably, I mean, literally, your story is just another one of the awesome examples. And, uh, like why I do what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I worked in Orlando for four years. And one of my best memories was putting together since the hospital every year for this will be the fourth year has done um, 
a prom and it started for oncology patients only. And now it has grown to a lot of different teenagers with uh, different chronic illnesses. And um, I had helped them set it up every year. It's run through Child Life and some of my best friends that worked there. And I pitched it. I think I remember I, I told Zuli, I was like, if I got a band of people together, you think we could play at prom? I was like, I think I, I think I've got a few people. And I was like, I know if I can get Max to be one of my like cornerstones that I can lean on. I was like, I think I can recruit a couple more people. And you were the only one that I would say is like started at a professional level <laughs> at your instrument. Uh, we had some people like that were learning the keyboard like for that gig, which it was so awesome and it went so great. But tell, tell me about that whole process and what that was like. Uh, for kind of like a different shade of music therapy. Um, you know, it was just, it was awesome to see all these kids coming together with all these different talents, you know. And like you said, some people were learning the instrument that, like, for the first time during that, like, week of practice that we had. And, um, you know, it was just so amazing for them to, to learn it. And they learned it, like, really well. Like, it, it sounded great. It sounded amazing. And, it really did, and um, you know, I, I was kind of, I was there to play, but you know, we were like discussing music and stuff. I was really on the outside, kind of, because I don't listen to a lot of, kind of the new music of the day, and so, <laughs> when, everybody, when everybody's saying like all these these songs they want to sing, I was, I just kind of like stay quiet, and whenever you finally you finalize the list, I listen to all the songs, and you know, I. I learned them and we played them them so great and everybody you know had such heart singing them and um it was just very it was a very cool experience yeah it was probably one of my favorite things that i was able to be a part of and just for me seeing all of these people who used to have that label patient um are there and they are performers they are artists they are you know, at least at the lowest entertainments. So I think to me that was all about like these people that you used to stamp patient on mm-hmm. now are look look at them performing their health, look at them standing up big on the stage, and look at them playing the music that you're dancing to that you're enjoying. For mm-hmm. you know, staff members crying. They're so oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was great. It was great. And yet another example where Max gets me on the news is is what that is (laughs) so um so you're back in school what's your life look like right now before we kind of wrap things up for today um i'm taking the class that i was in when i got um diagnosed so that's microbiology and i'm taking that three days a week um dealing with as a as a person with like a fairly new immune system like as a top like a immune system like a toddler's I'm like dealing with you know E. coli and growing E. coli and staff, Ooh. and it's really it's really kind of on the online, but living on the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, oh my gosh, it's so much fun, and uh, I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm going to apply for my uh, for the UCF nursing program this fall, and um, hopefully uh, graduate with my bachelor's in two and a half years, mm. and. My, my goal is to go back to the 
where I was treated in and, you know, use my experience with other kids that are going through um, what I went through. Yeah. And uh, I hope to work there, um, I think, for like four or so years and then uh, go back to school. And my main goal would be to be a nurse practitioner for um, either bone marrow, pediatric bone marrow or um, pediatric oncology. That'd yeah. be kind of goal. Man, that's so inspiring. Um, you were already doing this path when all this happened. So it's so awesome that you still want to give back. And, you know, whenever you want to switch to music therapy, you just let me know. But <laughs> <laughs> I always I always have to get that jab in there. But um, so what would you say for anyone that's going through any of uh, anything similar when they get the knock on the door and they're skeptical about a person with a guitar in their back and a jingling office depot cart, what would you tell that person? You know, um, one, you never know, you never know until you try, you know, um, just give it a chance, you know, and don't, don't like kind of do it like halfway, give it, give it your all. And I guarantee you, you'll, you'll start having fun and you'll start enjoying it. Um, music is just such a great way to escape, not only escape, but to express what you're feeling. Um, you know, it's just, and it's also really fun to, when you like teach a ukulele class to to the ward, I remember doing that, having five or six other patients in there and we're all, you know, kind of learning the same thing at the same time. And we're bonding as we're going through this horrible it's horrible time in our lives and it's, it's, it was really cool and it really kind of brought our minds off things and, you know, gave us something, not only something to do, but something to kind of look forward to. Yeah. Well, uh, the last couple of questions I just want to ask is, um, since you're in a different role than a lot of the people that I am uh, interviewing the last couple of questions I always ask are how do you inspire others to make more music and why do you inspire others to make more music? And you're still in this role where you're encouraging people and you're a musician who's interacting purely for the love of it, purely for giving back to your church, purely for, um, just playing the trumpet at, and the love of singing and the love of music. So what do you hope people get out of your music and what do you hope to inspire other people? Hmm. I, I hope when someone listens to what I'm, you know, putting out there, I hope that they take away that even though that this, this person has, you know, gone through this horrible time and, you know, sometimes the days I, I looked terrible, the things that looked good, um, the days of bad news, which there were many, um, even though I had all those experiences that um, I came out of it stronger than who I was. Mm -hmm. I came out smarter than who I was. I came out, um, you know, um, more empathetic than what I was. And uh, so I hope I, I can, <laughs> I can express that in my music. And I hope that people can um, see mm -hmm. that when I'm, and inspire others to do the same. Great. That weight of experience, huh? You've lived a lot in just a couple of years, for sure. Uh -huh. Definitely. Well, before I let you go, I'm gonna we're gonna go through the quick six 
questions. These are uh, just quick little short questions. You can answer them as long as you want, but they're just supposed to be rapid fire. So uh, pull open your phone, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music. Tell us what was the last thing you listened to. Lessons to scenes from an Italian restaurant, Billy Joel. There you go. You weren't kidding. Yeah, it was Billy Joel. There you go. Good. Um, This can be as philosophical as you would like. Oh, go ahead. That's my song of all time, by the way. That's your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. I'll listen to it tonight. Um, Be as philosophical or as just plain as you want, but what if you were an instrument, what would you be? Ooh. Instrument. I... I probably want to be a piano. You know, that's something that's that's an instrument I've like long. If I could, if I had a genie and I wish I could play like something early, I'd pick the piano any day of the week, just Great. because it's you can be you can be kind of melodramatic with it. You can do so many things with it. It's just it's just the catch-all instrument. So I, I'd be the piano. Great, great. Uh, what's something? that's been inspiring you recently? Hmm. You know, uh, while I was going through this, um, a person that also lives in my town, his name is Dustin Totoli. He got diagnosed, he's a little bit older than me. He got diagnosed with the same thing, almost the same thing that I had. Um, and he, by a couple of weeks, we went through almost the same thing, and um, yet our journeys were, were very different. He, at the end of his treatment, he also had to get a bone marrow transplant, but the bone marrow transplant um, didn't work as well as they thought it would, and um, he, he had to go back, and he got many more intense chemo treatments, and, you know, he was just this... This guy, he, he was just married. He travels the world with his, with his wife, who is um, native Spaniard. And um, I think she's Spanish or Italian. I don't know. Sorry if I messed that up. But they, <laughs> and, um, you know, it just got it, it got stopped like that. And, you know, um, yeah. that must have been tough for him. And uh, he he inspired me a lot because he had the same you know, mentality as I did, you know, always being positive, putting your faith in God. And um, even though he had much, much worse conditions than I had, and um, I think it's an inspiration now that a couple of days ago he was uh, declared in remission, which... Oh, that's so great. Such a, such a great thing to hear, and really, um, really I'm happy for him, and I um, feel inspired by him. That's great. Um, this could be the next one is this could be some, anything in your whole life. But what do you feel like is a is a life hack or a pro tip that you practice that you feel like other people should know? Hmm. You know, I I've playing in the bands that I've played in. Um, when I get a piece of music. I listen to that song or whatever it is on repeat for hours back to front. I I sing it in my sleep. I I know it. 
I know I, I know my part. I know other instruments' parts. You know, and that just really helps you. You know, blend together as a band. And mm. I think that's probably one of the most important things I've learned musically. Sweet, sweet. Um, I'm hoping you say Reese's, but what's your go-to junk food now? Oh, junk food though. That's can't. I'd say candy-wise Reese's. Okay, but uh, I'm. A, <laughs> I'm a pizza man till I die. Ah, nice. Especially Chicago style deep dish. There you go. There you go. Just a pie of cheese. Yeah. Where's your uh, your favorite Chicago spot? Is it Lou Malnati's? Is it somewhere else? It's in my hometown, Rochelle, Illinois, called Vince's. They don't do deep dish. I don't think. Maybe they do. I've never had their deep dish, but they're thin Chicago style pizza. That would be my final meal if I could choose. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Vince's. You heard it here. That's awesome. And then lastly, uh, what person, project, or organization would you like to shout out? Definitely the Nicholas Reichel Foundation. They uh, they they um, they grant wishes for kids that are outside the range of Make a Wish, and um, their story is uh so so touching he um nicholas reichel was a illinois um cancer patient and he just like me just missed the cut deadline of um wish mm. and uh sadly he his cancer got the best of him and uh, one of his dying wishes to his mother was um i want you to make a foundation that helps kids like me get a wish you know like i like I didn't have, I want to, I want to make that happen for our kids. And so mm, that is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Gosh, man. Well, it's been so awesome to just catch up. It's yeah. been great to hear about being an uncle and being back in school. And I think that the, the greatest thing ever is just to, to hear, you know, what your life is doing normally now and just to look across a Skype screen and see a head full of hair over there. It's just, it's, yeah, like you, you even need a haircut almost. That's amazing. <laughs> That's good. Well, um, if people want to, you know, follow you or follow anything about your story, where would you direct people uh, on the internet? Um, so since the beginning, we, uh, my family has kept up a Facebook page, Prayers for Maxwell Jones. Um, you can go back and you can look at my entire journey, uh, see the videos that me and Chris uh, did together, of singing and playing instruments together. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a great page. And so it's great. just a real, if you're ever feeling down, definitely, I, I go back and I, I look at where I've come from and it just, it brings me up on a down day. Yeah. Hard to be ungrateful. <laughs> if you flip through that, huh? Cool. Well, Max, it's been so awesome. Uh, thanks again. We're signing off, everybody. And just remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music. All right, we're going to end this episode a little different for you today. I hope you enjoyed that chat. And to end it, we're going to cap it off with um, a recording that we did at our time at Florida Hospital, where Max did an experience called Lyric Substitution, where we rewrote They Can't Take That Away From Me 
and change the lyrics to be about his cancer journey and this walk through that. So without further ado, here's Max singing, playing trumpet, and me accompanying him on the guitar for They Can't Take That Away From Me. It could take your appetite And take your energy But the will to fight No, no, it can't take that away from me It could take your hair And fog your memory But my God is there No, no, it can't take that away from me May we never, never meet again But if push comes to shove I'll still always, always keep a memory of The way I learned to fight And how I hit those greens The way it changed my life No, no, it can't take that away from me No, it can't take that away from me No, it can't take that 